Hi, everyone. For weeks, we hear hardly any news. Then the horrible stories of what happens in Ukraine. And I speak about it in my podcast and I tweet about it and I write about it in my newsletters. And even I sometimes publish a bit on Medium these days as well. And um, Ukraine rightly, I would say, gets all the attention in the media. But unfortunately, this isn't all the bad news of the world. Uh, there are multiple crises going on and two of them or three of them I already wrote about recently, but there's actually many more. So one of them is, of course, climate change. Uh, cli this should have been the year of renewed efforts to get higher ambitions at COP27 uh, for the simple reason that COP25 um, or uh, COP26 in the original date never took place. It was then postponed. Uh, we got together in, uh, because of the pandemic, we got together in Glasgow and uh, there was uh, not much achieved, not nothing, but definitely not enough. And basically what they did, they pushed it forward uh, towards COP27, which, which will start on, I believe, the 7th of November uh, in Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt. And the idea is there that um, the higher ambitions uh, that should be raised since COP21 was, was agreed in Paris by that time, seven years ago, um, uh, should, should finally be achieved. And it's, it's very uh, doubtful now if the world leaders will be able to prioritize on the crisis of climate change, which can't be ignored uh, any longer. And that was also in the, in the words of the recent IPCC report. Uh, a clear conclusion. They said the window of opportunity is very rapidly closing. Um, the climate, unfortunately, doesn't wait for our leaders to, to solve other problems first. And I, I spoke before about the wars and the war in Ukraine's impacts on the EU's energy transition. Uh, less access to Russian fossil fuels, especially gas, will boost the investment in renewable sources of energy or better in all kinds of sources of energy and that includes renewables so the renewable part is is the positive part of the story but the urgency is so high that it's likely that you will also see investment in all kinds of other forms of of energy and i'm 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 all for it although it is deeply sad that we needed this linkage to the war in ukraine uh, to to finally get this 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 move this renewed move towards renewables, um, it it should have been made many many years ago. The scientists have been have been warning for many many decades, um, at least since since let's say the second half of the 1980s. It was absolutely clear to anybody who was interested in this um, how how bad climate change was going to be and what the scientists predicted in those days uh, did exactly happen. Um, if you take, uh, for instance, uh, Jim Henson's um, presentation in the second half of the 1980s uh, to the Senate, which some people claim should be uh, the starting date of the Anthropocene, as if a new geological era would need a definite starting date, um, because the biggest uh, and most powerful country in the world at that moment um, uh, learned their, their people's representation learned about uh, how serious climate change is and then nothing happened and still we are doing far far too little we have less than a decade l left 
uh, to to get rid of um, of of at least half of the emissions of of greenhouse gases that we are producing now. But transition, as I mentioned earlier, is not without its challenges e either. So we need, for instance, uh, what, is, what is called energy transition metals. And these are things like copper and nickel and platinum and, and palladium and aluminium and lithium. And uh, although the, the Russian-Ukraine conflict has already prompted nations to impose trade san uh, sanctions on Russian oil and gas and, and coal, um, some other commodities that are affecting global energy security, um, the, the, the Russian metals has so far escaped these uh, sanctions. Um, but it's, it's, we don't know yet if they will come. There's, there's, there's constantly new sanctions uh, coming, and rightly so. Russia ought to be sanctioned for this, 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 this brutal war that they are waging uh, in a kind of, kind of medieval uh, way of, 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 of doing warfare, just stealing another country that is completely independent and not threatening at all to them. Um, and uh, so it, it, it could be, if you, if you compare twins for 2018, then sanctions were imposed on Russian aluminium. Uh, the, the producer Russo uh, got, got sanctioned. Um, and that resulted in, in skyrocketing global prices. So uh, recently the World Economic Forum published some data. They said that Russia accounts for 7% of the world's mined nickel. And nickel is, for instance, a scarce metal uh, that you need to make batteries for electrical vehicles. Um, uh, in uh, the, the, the current conflict already pushed nickel prices up 250% uh, in just two days. So Russia also produces about a third of the world's palladium. And that is typically a metal that you use in, in, uh, in the car industry to control vehicle emissions. And palladium prices already uh, were at, at uh, record high prices uh, as soon as the uh, Ukrainian crisis uh, started. And um, so it's, it's, that's another one. And Ukraine, for instance, is a large supplier of uh, what you call noble gases, uh, so uh, something like neon, for instance, like you have in in in, in neon lights and krypton, and you you, you use these for semiconductor chips, and uh, the semiconductor chips are essential in all electronic systems, uh, including those uh, used in automobiles and and uh, renewable machinery and other technology, um, so. If you again, if you look at the recent past when Russia um, invaded uh, the, the Crimea just eight years ago, uh, you saw also a, a, a rise in neon prices. So um, there, there are a, a lot of elements that we need to make our transition towards renewable energy. Uh, that for that that part of those are coming from uh, from Russia or Ukraine, and so it's all all these things are connected. So again, crises are becoming compounded crises. The one crisis is connected to the other one, and so apart from Ukraine and climate, another obvious one uh, that we are still dealing with is, of course, the pandemic, and the pandemic is far from over. 
its um, uh, numbers are uh, in many places all over the world on the rise again. And what you also see is those new uh, subvariants, and they seem to play a huge role. Why um, uh, again? Again, there's this rise in in, uh, in COVID cases. So. Uh, in China, they reported the first uh, dead person in, in, in a year, the, the first person dying of, of, of COVID. Uh, you see record numbers of infections in, in South Korea. Uh, there's also a, a huge jump in cases in, in Africa. So the two strains that seem to, to be the latest uh, chapter of developments on COVID are called Delta Cron and Stelzomicron. So Delta Cron is, as you would guess if you listen to the name, that is a, a kind of a fusion between the the old Delta variety, the very deadly one uh, you you remember, and the second part of the name Delta Cron reminds you, of course, of Omicron, which was not so much deadly, but it was especially very contagious. And this new variety, it's, it's quite new. Um, it, it has already been detected in France in, in early January, but only got seriously registered uh, more, more recently. Um, in the UK, there's only about 30 cases, uh, for instance, that have been detected. And we don't know yet how dangerous this one is going to be. Um, the, the, the worst thing you could have is that it's as deadly as Delta and as contagious as Omicron. Um, um, specialists say that a, a first calculated guess, but they don't know for sure yet, is that because of this growing human immunity to uh, both kind of variants, both, both uh, Delta as well as Omicron, uh, they hope that this one will do relatively little harm. And now the, there's the other one, that is the the, the one, this BA.2, or also nicknamed the Stealth Omicron. Uh, this one's much better known. You've, you've heard much more about it in, 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 in the recent time. Um, it was discovered in the UK uh, last December. And uh, there's still investigating a lot about this but this one is the most transmissible strain of the coronavirus that we yet know in the world and for for instance in in england half of the new cases uh, come from this uh, stealth omicron uh, variety um, but it gave a huge surge in in denmark uh, which is the bad news but the good news is also that this surge has uh, relatively quickly reached a plateau and is is now in Denmark receding. So so that's a very interesting case, and that gives some hope uh, that this one will not be as bad. Are these the last ones? Well, we don't know. Uh, it's not very likely, uh, but let's hope that the trend is that that slowly uh, we will have the worst of this um, this trend behind us because we have so many other crises, and that was actually. Um, the, the title that I uh, that I typed out, but then I lost it because I lost the whole connection um, of the um, of, of of the podcast that I was making, and I quickly had to type a new title. The title now I see is just the world crisis, but it was something like all the other crises in the world. Um, a good overview uh, of 
of all kinds of crises that are taking place at the, at the moment was, for instance, produced by the International Rescue Committee. Um, they do that every year and they make a list of all kinds of humanitarian crises that they fear uh, will get worse in, in the year to come. So they made the list just before uh, the crisis in, in, in Ukraine exploded. And um, they are countries that most of them have experienced for many, many years already nonstop conflict in the last decade. So it's hampering their ability to respond to all kinds of other global challenges like uh, COVID-19 and like uh, climate change. So uh, there's a list of about 20 countries that are uh, home to 10% of the global population, but they account for nearly 90% uh, of all the people that are in need of humanitarian aid worldwide. And the risk is, of course, that uh, now that all the attention of the world's politicians is going to Ukraine. And if they have a little bit of time left for something else, they should really with the utmost urgency also focus on climate change. And they still have their hands full on um, on, on, on the pandemic, on the COVID crisis uh, that uh, goes up and down with waves. Who is really paying attention to all these these huge crises uh, that, that are taking place? Um, to mention just a few of them, uh, Sudan, for instance, just just 20 minutes ago when I was I was preparing um, uh, this talk, the New York Times just wrote a huge article about Sudan. So at least the me media pays attention to what's going on there, although only a fraction of the attention that these kind of crises uh, should get. Um, in Sudan, uh, it's, it's, it's a population uh, similar to Ukraine. It's also about 44 million. But out of those 44, uh, about a third, some 14 million people are in need of help. Those 3 million people are internally displaced in the country. And it's a country with lots of challenges. Um, it, it is a, a combination of bad governance. Uh, the military took over. There were civilian leaders last year, but they were kicked out by the military. Um, and now there's a lot of political uncertainty, uh, which destabilizes uh, the peace efforts between all kinds of armed groups that are active there. Uh, add to it the environmental uh, shocks uh, that the country has, the economic crisis, um, and, of course, uh, the ones that I mentioned before, like climate and COVID. Uh, and I could maybe add to it inflation, which is not the typical kind of disaster that you're talking about. But inflation is also a kind of crisis that we are dealing with. So a country like Sudan has so many challenges um, already by what's going on there, which are often related to governance and the structure of the country, and then add to it these kind of global challenges, uh, then you get a horrible, difficult situation and add to that less aid uh, from other countries because other countries are just so uh, extremely busy now with the exploding crisis in Ukraine and, and that they're at least trying to contain it there. Um, take Syria. I mean, have you read anything about Syria in, in the past weeks, except for the fact that Russia is now recruiting um, uh, soldiers of fortune in Syria uh, to do their fighting in Ukraine because Russia doesn't have uh, the quick three-day success uh, that they were hoping for? 
But in Syria itself, it's not it's a country of more than 20 million people. Um, it is an absolute disaster. Um, about two thirds of those people are uh, are in need. Um, about seven million of them are uh, are are internally displaced. Imagine that. There's one of one in three people is no longer living where where they used to live. Um, and it's it's of course a country known for its uh, violence, for its instability, uh, including the instability of its leader, um, who was just at the point of starting to make his very first friends again in the world and make international visits. And now uh, Syria will again be in the news as the country that delivers the soldiers to do the fighting in, in, in Ukraine. But the country itself is still an absolute nightmare and the world should pay attention to somehow... Uh, stabilize or contain the conflict in Syria, but it hardly gets the, on the front pages again. Uh, Somalia is another one. I spoke about Somalia recently in, in another podcast, uh, but there's again millions and millions of people that need help. Uh, Myanmar, uh, it, it, it was in the news uh, last year, um, but in the past two or three months, have you heard anything about Myanmar? I haven't. And uh, it's, it's again, millions and millions of people, more than 10 million people in Myanmar uh, need help. Uh, there, uh, there was um, some kind of uh, civilian um, uh, government, which was, uh, which was at least uh, towards the Rohingya uh, refugees, uh, not at all giving the kind of policy that you would like to see uh, from uh, from from a civilian government, but then the military took over, and now uh, the whole country is 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 an absolute mess. Um, there's now hundreds of thousands of people internally being displaced uh, because of this this coup d'état um, that uh, that took place, and uh, there's there's hundreds of of attacks against uh, health workers in the countries um, and nearly in all these cases it's, it's caused by the military that are in charge um, the economy is an absolute mess um, so that's another one Congo was uh, was also mentioned on the list um, for many many years uh, it has a place on the list of the top 10 of countries uh, that, uh, that, that, that are in a series of humanitarian uh, disasters um, like in, 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 in North and South Kivu, uh, add to that the Ebola outbreaks, add to that the bad governance, add to that all the uh, armed uh, groups uh, that, are, that are fighting there. Um, there's more than 100 different arms group, armed groups that are fighting in the eastern provinces, and they all try to get control of, 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 of the land, um, and access to its natural resources. This is typically a, a country that you could mention as an example of um, the scorch of of um, of having too many uh, lucrative natural resources. It's it's what what once uh, drew uh, the king of Belgium uh, towards it to to colonize it as a kind of a personal property. Uh, with with horrible human rights abuses, and ever since it it gained its independence, is if I on top of my head, I think in 1965, at least in the mid 60s, um, it it has been just just one story of the one coup d'état after the other, or long term dictatorships, 
but they never had good governance. Uh, and now it's just uh, a country with so many different fighting uh, groups. I mentioned Sudan already. Uh, there, uh, there's also South Sudan that became independent, and uh, they've been uh, they've been independent for about ten years now. Um, but it's 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 also uh, violence, different fighting groups uh, that that destabilize uh, the country. Huge uh, humanitarian um, suffering, uh, hunger is growing. Um, there's also the natural uh, shocks, especially flooding in South Sudan has, has, has been uh, has been huge. Um, so that's another country. The list goes on and on. I could uh, talk about Nigeria, especially in the northern parts of Nigeria, um, where uh, where where millions of people are are in need of help. Of course, I should mention Yemen. I mean, the the, the pictures of of uh, children in Yemen suffering from from hunger are are horrible to 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 watch, and and the world is hardly paying attention uh, to this conflict. Um, of course, Saudi Arabia plays a, is is a big player here, but in this situation, the world uh, wants uh, oil from Saudi Arabia, so don't expect more pressure there. Um, Ethiopia, of course, um, that's that's another one, uh, and the conflict in Tigray, uh, you hardly hear about it in the news. Um, and and then uh, as the last one, let's mention Afghanistan. Um, that that um, has been since the 1970s, which was the brief period that Afghanistan had a kind of good governance. Uh, but since the 1970s has been in, in a kind of permanent conflict. Um, all, the, all the major powers in the world uh, uh, seems to, seem to have uh, been around there. Um, and uh, nobody has been able to, 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 to help the country towards some kind of uh, stable government. Um, and now that the Taliban took over uh, after the U.S. left... Um, Nobody in the world is really paying attention to what's going on there. So there we are, and it's it's. Uh, I didn't even mention. Uh, there's a lot of other countries that I could mention too here, but this was a kind of overview of all the kind of crises that are taking place in the world. And I did this geographically. I didn't even start on a thematic approach. Uh, we we will get World Water Day in just, uh, what is it, three days from now. The 22nd of March is always World Water Day, uh, which will this year focus especially on groundwater. Um, the, the number of people in the world that don't have access to water is rapidly rising. The number of people in the world that don't have access to sanitation is rising with about 10 million uh, per year. And I'm only talking about people in cities that don't have access to sanitation. Um, so that is a problem, although we've been working on it for a long time, and I've been involved in it as well. The problem is actually getting worse. Um, we, we, have, uh, we have an energy crisis, um, and uh, you, you could, where there's, there's the food crisis, of course. You could, you could say um, that, that, that all of the 17 SDGs, uh, of which uh, the clock is ticking because we are, we are, we are only eight years away, um, uh, from uh, from the year 2030, when we should have achieved all the 169 um, uh, targets of the Sustainable Development Goals. That is so close, and we are so far away 
from uh, from 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 reaching um, all the all the targets and, and and goals that that we should achieve. Um, so this is a world in crisis. This is um, a a completely different situation than anything I've ever seen in my life. I've been a diplomat for um, since since uh, since the early 1990s, and I, I quit six years ago. And in all those years, I've I've dealt uh, with with all kinds of crises all over the world. I've seen the horrors that landmines uh, uh, create. I've 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 seen tensions between countries, and and of course, like all of you, you know, in our lifetimes, we've seen wars like the horrible war in the Balkans, etc. But somehow, these were um, these were crises of which you always had to hope that we are going to solve this somehow, and they were relatively independent from each other. But what you now see is the globalization of all these crises. If you take, for instance, the environment. When I grew up, an environmental crisis was a local thing. An environmental crisis was uh, either something in your city or um, it was something like acid rain, let's say in my student days in the 1980s, which was kind of, let's say, regional in Europe. We were affected by the acid rain of Germany or the other way around. So it was a bit of cross-country some pollution in rivers was reaching other countries, but um, uh, crises were kind of local. But nowadays, environmental crises are global. We talk about things like uh, like climate change, and we talk about things like um, the pollution crisis of, of 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 plastics, for instance, in the oceans. These are global problems, including uh, the loss of nature, the the loss of biodiversity. So these are uh, these have become global crisis um, in a way that uh, that that they weren't in the past and the second thing that is that is changing is uh, that this this globalization is not only let's say physical globalization you also see it in trade that was the original word of globalization was much more about about trade in the days that that uh, occupy was protesting against it etc that's the original globalization then you got the globalization of environment but on top of that there's also the the globalization of information and especially disinformation um, because bad news travels faster than good news and that seems to polarize the whole world it it, it makes many countries, a kind of tinderbox, ready to explode because people all the time get fed all this negative information and they don't get, um, they don't get uh, the positive news and they don't hear about um, uh, solutions. So, um, and, and a third thing that uh, I see changing is that uh, crises are more impacting each other. Like everything I was talking about now, there's now... So many crises going on, and the one crisis makes the next one worse. So uh, because Ukraine, uh, there's now um, uh, less attention for things like climate change or, or all those other crises that I mentioned, but it's also that uh, the one crisis, the, the last big one we were dealing about was Syria. Now you see those Syrian soldiers going to fight um, in Ukraine, so there's all these kind of connections between all these uh, crises. I see uh, Joshua has a question, so please uh, join Joshua. 
You have to unmute. I don't have a question. Um, I'm. Uh, can you hear me? I can't hear you. You cannot. Hold on a second. But I see that you were saying something. Can you try again? Yeah. Hold on. I'm going to take off my Bluetooth. No, there's something wrong here. I'm not sure if that's on my end. I will try to. I will unplug my phone. Time. Maybe I can hear you now. Joshua, I think I did hear you in the end. Can you try one more time? And I hear, I see the message that others can hear you. Can you try one more time to unmute and say? Can you hear me, Joshua? Uh, yeah, I, can you hear I, me now? It works. Okay, I'm I, I'm sorry. I've been a one-trick pony all week, probably across the globe at this point, and you can uh, blame Astro Athens for introducing me to the call-in app. Um, I've been studying hemp on my own, independent research for six years. Um, it has a 12,000-year history. It can be grown for food, fuel, fiber, and medicine. We know this. I have no financial dog in this hunt. I have no Bitcoin. I know have no hidden slush funds financing me to talk about this. I am not benefiting it from it myself. I'm looking at it on a global basis. And I see it as something that from a peace perspective that we can look at so we can collaborate on it, the research of it, the growth of it. And I do not want to monoculture it. I want to leverage it the same way the ancient civilizations have to take care of their people and to potentially regenerate what we have degenerated. Um, I know this is lofty, um, but quite frankly, in the situation we're in, we don't really have a choice but to have lofty goals at this point. And 2030 is coming really fast, especially when we're trying to go to war right now which is far more destructive for the environment than everything I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. So which was the product that you mentioned? Because that word fell away in the in, in, in the first sentence for me. Hemp. Hemp, yes. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, I'm all for it to, to also look at um, the, uh, the, the kind of uh, indigenous, not the right word, but let's say, all kinds of traditional forces of, of food uh, that we 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 may have forgotten about, um, and yeah, hemp is um, is a product that is already used uh, in 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 many ways. Uh, it's it's a lot of it's produced in Southeast Asia, but also in other places in the world. Um, you can use it for for packaging. You can use it for food. Some people like to smoke it, um, and um, it's. Uh, hemp together with all kinds of let's say traditional uh grains and 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 and, and other wheat uh, that can be used is is interesting to look at i think this is a situation where uh, we should look at, at all possibilities uh, that we have to make um uh, to 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 reach more food etc and i think one good aspect of uh, of focusing on a product like hemp is uh, that we should focus on non uh, non animal sources of our our food because that is an, an, a highly inefficient way of feeding our people that you first uh, put uh, agricultural food 
in, uh, uh, an agricultural product into an animal and then you're going to kill the animal and eat it. And that is on average um, uh, a factor of, uh, of 32 when you talk about a cow. So you put 32 times as much uh, energy uh, into a cow, then you get out of it when you afterwards kill it and eat it. And nor does the cow think it's very pretty. So um, it's uh, so focusing on uh, traditional agricultural products and, um, and and see if you can use them. Yeah, that's... That's clearly, uh, that's that's a good point. Are there any other questions, by the way? You guys know how to do this, right? You have to raise your hands by by um, by pressing on the call in button uh, that is uh, not on my screen, but must be on your screen, I think, at the bottom right. And um, I'm not trying to, uh, can you hear me? Yeah, um, I can. So, okay, so we're, we're on together. So I, I don't want to dominate the whole call because I do that too much. Um, the reality is, um, what if we do it without tariffs? Because the sanctions that we're putting on, you know, mostly the global south are not helping us have less enemies. And there's far more of them than there are of us, by the way, um, <laughs> just by numbers. Uh, so, and we've been doing things to the detriment of all of us for, I don't know how many generations now, and it's probably time to stop. Um, and there are future uses for this product as well. Um, and that is known, and there shouldn't be intellectual property rights upon it. Um, so no tariffs, no intellectual property rights. And one final thing, can you explain to me what food deficit requirements are within the WTO? Are we telling countries what food they cannot and can, could or cannot grow and whether or not it can be coming from Monsanto, for instance? Yeah, so on that last one, no, WTO is not giving advice on uh, or or does not determine uh, what kind of food people should eat in which country. So whether whether you like uh, GMO food or not, and there's a lot to, 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 to say for, for both sides of the argument that I don't want to go into right now, um, but I have sympathy for both sides on, on what they're fighting for. Um, WTO is 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 not dealing with that, so they are not uh, setting tariffs uh, because they believe that it's either better for your health or whatever. Um, uh, WTO tries to uh, to improve trade uh, all over the world, um, and that uh, part of that is exactly what you are saying to get rid of, um, of, 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 of trade barriers. If the, the ultimate idea is that if you have free trade, you have a better functioning uh, economy in the world and everybody can then focus on what they are best uh, capable of, um, of producing. But there are situations uh, that, uh, that you, you need to work uh, with tariffs. For instance, uh, you can imagine, let's say, a, a poor country in the world that tries to develop um, what what they are good at, uh, that they have first have to develop their own home market and th that they are not capable of doing that if countries from the West are flooding the country with um, a, a, a subsidized and cheaper product. So they never get a chance to develop their own home market. So in that sense, from a, a, a development and a humanitarian perspective, as well as a perspective of, of fairness, uh, then you can say for for a certain period there's something to say about uh, putting on uh, 
putting on uh, prices there. I saw, by the way, a, a message popping up uh, by Mera. I'm not really sure how I can read that again, but that somebody wanted to ask a question about uh, Nigeria, but I, I'm not sure how I can read that. Oh, here we are. There is the... Um, no, I don't see it in the conversation. Um, so, uh, Mara or anybody's, if somebody had a question about Nigeria, just uh, just just let me know. I'm not sure how Mara knew that somebody wanted to ask that question, um, but um, but do raise your hand. Or if anybody else has a question, just uh, just let me know. Not that I know everything, but at least I can I can try to. Um, to steer the debate. Maybe someday I'm going to ask questions back to you guys and see what uh, what you're going to say then. Uh, it's in the chat, says Mera, uh, Mohammed Noor. And I only have the live chat, but how do I get to the chat? Um, I, I don't know. I see in the live chat only that Evelyn wrote yes on a message, but I'm not really sure how to how to access that. I have to work that out. Okay, I've been doing quite a few of these podcasts, but I'm not sure. Uh, maybe Mara can uh, copy and paste uh, that message and send it to me. Um, but I, I, I think it was a question about Nigeria. So while Mara is typing, I hope, thanks Mara, um, I, will, um, I will see... Uh, if we, we, yeah, on, on, on Nigeria, let's just, oh, there we are. Uh, the, yeah, the Nigeria crisis. So, okay, thanks, Mira. You're a great help. Um, so on Nigeria crisis, I mean, this is a country where it is, it's, it's a giant in Africa, of course, um, uh, together maybe with uh, South Africa, these are the two biggest countries. And I, I think in, in, in many ways, in population size, it's more than 200 million people of a rapidly growing uh, population. Um, and there there's more than 8 million people that are in need in Nigeria. A lot of them are actually in, in the north of the country. Uh, they've now had more than 10 years of conflict, um, especially in the northeast uh, of, of Nigeria. They've got a lot of attention um, but you see that this conflict is also spreading to, to other parts of the country. It's 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 a mixture of crime um, uh, combined with with yeah, let's say more um, well, you you might call political or religion tensions um, that that you also saw in the northwest, and it just leads to an enormous humanitarian crisis. Uh, there's there's separatist activity. Um, in the southeast uh, that uh, Nigeria has dealt with uh, much longer ago in the past when I was really young uh, but it's 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 uh, it's it's again taking place now as well um, and there's there's uh, there, there's a lot of security crisis but it's fueled by um, a level of, of, of poverty uh, in, income differences, uh, there's the social marginalization. Um, and of course, I, I mentioned this uh, crisis already several times. Uh, climate change is also impacting um, uh, Nigeria. For instance, a case where I've been, been reading and talking on, on quite a bit is uh, in, in the Lake Chad area, uh, where you just see that there's less and less water available. Uh, 
mostly because of climate, also because of, of use of water, because there's more people, you more water is used. And what you see is that tensions uh, are increasing, for instance, between the nomadic herdsmen and, um, and the farmers uh, that, are, uh, that are living there. Um, so, and, and that's also going cross border. There's about, uh, there's four different countries that, that border on, on, on Lake Chad. So you see all these tensions growing there. Um, so what you also see is that there's, there's restrictions to humanitarian access. Um, uh, there is now a million people living in that area in, uh, inaccessible, uh, conflict affected areas. Um, and then there is, uh, just, just, uh, yeah, clearly criminal activity, activity, activities taking place in, in the Northwest. Um, so that is a new humanitarian crisis. And so, so there you have it. You have in the Northwest, this, this, this kind of crime taking place in the Northeast. You have this, this whole Lake Chad area. Uh, you have the political unrest in 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 the southeast, and on top of that, all kinds of humanitarian crises, like um, uh, the move uh, towards uh, towards the the cities. Um, so so the the urbanization that is taking place at a rapid uh, rapid pace, um, and it will be impacted by sea level rise as well. Um, so the, 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 the farmer herder conflicts are becoming more, more violent. Uh, that is, by the way, also added, and this is another example of this stacking up of crisis. Um, if you go back to the summer of 2010, when the harvest failed, uh, in Russia and Ukraine and Kazakhstan and the wheat prices were, were quickly going up, uh, what then happened was that the, uh, food prices were, were, were soaring to, to, to really high levels. They became like, the, the wheat became like twice as expensive. And then there was one of the factors that uh, created all these uprisings uh, in what we then called the Arab Spring in, in springtime of, um, of 2011. And one of these crises, you will remember, is in uh, Gaddafi's uh, Libya. And, uh, when, that ended up in an, an absolute disastrous uh, civil civil war conflict that's still still going on. Huge weapon stockpiles were plundered by the people. The weapons from the army ended up in the hands of of the people, and that gave an added flow of uh, of arms from Libya to the south. And that's a typical another example of how the one conflict originally crisis is then fueling another or sparking another conflict, which was the Arab Spring. And that is then the results of that crisis is now also fueling um, the tensions in, in the Sahel countries, including uh, northern uh, Nigeria. So, yeah, this is typically an example where a lot of these um, these crises are all uh, coming, coming together. I'm no expert in Nigeria, so I'm combining here. Um, things that I've that I've uh, I've read and, and spoken about in the past, but I'm, I'm sure if you search for it, you'll you'll get much more much more details about what's uh, what's going on in uh, in Nigeria. So yeah, that's 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 a bit the kind of thoughts I wanted to share with you. Oh, there's Evelyn. Hi, Evelyn. Please join. Can you unmute yourself? Bottom right, the button. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. It's a bit late here, so anyway, <laughs> um, I was just wondering, um, 
I don't know if you can answer that, but of these crises that you mentioned, which of them are directly or maybe just indirectly linked to the climate crisis? Crisis and or is there any that are not linked at all? Yeah. Oh, that's that's a good question. Um, second one's more challenging than the first one. So. Um, Generally, I believe that no war in the history of mankind uh, is um, has just one single cause. Um, it's it's not that the beauty of Elena caused uh, the Trojan War, or it's not that uh, the invasion of Poland in um, uh, September '39 uh, caused the Second World War, nor that. Uh, the the murder by principe of of uh, Archduke uh, Franz Ferdinand um, in 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 the summer of 1914 um, uh, caused the first first world war. I mean, people are still writing books about why the first world war uh, really broke out, um, and and it's it's a combination of 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 of, of many many different causes, uh, including the the collapse of of, of the Ottoman uh, Empire, but it was also the the different the Triple Entente and all kinds of other coalitions that were made and um, and countries forgetting what war was about because basically uh, uh, since uh, a century, uh, literally a century, there had hardly been any war except for the Krim maybe um, in in what is it around 18, 1850, 1853. Um, so finding uh, saying that climate change causes war, uh, causes conflict is, is too easy, but what people normally say is that uh, it's a contributing factor. So you could say that um, the word you often read about it is um, it's, it's a threat multiplier. It was first used by CNA in uh, 1996 and then it kind of stuck with anybody that works on, on, on this issue. So there's already all kinds of tensions in society and then um, it, it, it gets sparked, it gets catalyzed, you could say, by climate change. So there's climate change in California with horrible consequences of drought, etc. But there's no civil war um, taking taking place in, in California. But you see that in many, many of the conflicts that I just mentioned, climate change is uh, certainly uh, a factor that, that plays a role. Um, it will be much harder to... Uh, to say that for the conflict in in Ukraine, um, that is that is one of the many ways why this conflict is so unique. It was maybe not unique a thousand years ago in the days of Genghis Khan, where you just you know, you're playing a board game of risk and were just trying to to conquer other countries. But in this day and age, let's say since the Second World War, um, a conflict like this in Europe that a country is just without any reason um, is 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 invading another country, um, whatever reasons uh, the invading country is giving for this, uh, that is that is really uh, that is unique. But all the other conflicts that I mentioned, um, the whole list of of many African countries that I mentioned, not one of them is not affected by climate change. So it will be really hard to find a conflict where you can say it is caused by climate change, um, but it's equally hard to uh, find a conflict these days where you can say climate change doesn't play any role at all um, in, in in the conflict. So it's, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a factor. What, what I, what I will predict for this year, 
and it's a dark prediction, is that uh, because of the war um, in Ukraine, food prices will rise worldwide. And because of rising food prices, there is, I can't say that we will therefore definitely see conflicts, but I would say there's a, a history as indicated that there's a much higher chance that we will see conflicts uh, in countries very, very far away from from the conflict itself. It's, uh, so it's, it's an ind indirect link, but I fear that uh, the combination of the disruption in the world that we've seen by COVID on top of that, uh, the, 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 the increasing crisis related to climate change and uh, and then add to that rising food prices um, that combination will play a uh, a destabilizing role all over the world so um, I I fear that uh, a lot of a lot more bad news is uh, going to uh, to to come this year so yeah I hope that answered your question a bit. I, by the way, I hope that you can hear me clearly because I'm for the very first time not at all using a um, a any form of speaker. I'm just talking in my phone now, um, but I see some clapping, so that's it, it seems it's yes, you can hear me. Okay, thanks. Um, yeah, did that answer yeah. your question? Yeah, thank you, and I can hear you fine. Okay, thanks so much, Evelyn, and I know it's very late. Thanks for for listening this uh, this late in the evening in Europe. Um, yeah, Joshua is, let me see, how do I take you as a next caller? Um, there we go. Um, there you are. Can you, can you unmute yourself? Yeah. So I'm just, you know, trying to, trying to look on the hopeful side. So you've given us a year long forecast of more famine. Um, and so that's that's not good but when we start looking long term say 10 years out the things that i'm talking about are those types of things um and we're living in a world which is trading on a quantum level at the speed of thought essentially or the speed of light um and we those algorithms are not supporting the things we want to support they're supporting the things that the one percent want to support and the 1% want to support war because war makes money. Saving the planet doesn't make money, but you know what makes money? Going to space and investing in the space programs of the countries that want to go to space, that want to use their nuclear energy to go to space, that want to regenerate in the spaces that they occupy with regenerative technologies and or crops. That's a future. What we're doing now is not a future for anyone three generations out. We know it. And if you want to think about things from a non-white perspective, you can't be thinking at a quantum level. You have to be thinking 210 years out, 1,000 years out, 10,000 years out. I'm... I'm I'm not trying to yell at you. I'm passionate about these things and I believe in what I'm saying. And I kind of know I'm right because nobody's telling me I'm wrong. Yeah. Well, uh, on, on the 1%, uh, no, you're not wrong. Uh, the, the interest of the 1% seems strangely um, that they 
continuously want to get richer, even though they are already so rich, um, which uh, which puzzles me. Um, by the way, the one percent. Um, quite a few of these listeners are part of the one percent. If you earn more than thirty thousand dollars a year, you are part of the global one percent. Um, of course, the people you were referring to, um, uh, uh, the, the Jeff Bezos types of, of this world, they are part of the 0.000001%. Actually, it's even even smaller because I think Bezos is now the number second richest man on the world um, and Elon Musk uh, the first one. These people are uh, ridiculously rich and... Uh, all the money they gained, and I'm, I'm sure that they are clever businessmen, uh, etc. But they could only make so much money because of all kinds of investments that have been made by society. They make use of the whole structure of society, of that we educate people, of that we build infrastructure, etc. And uh, they pay zero tax uh, back, which uh, which I think is 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 absolutely absurd. Um, so once you have a system in place that rewards rich people in getting richer, um, uh, then then that's that's a very worrying trend. Um, just to to stay in the American example, um, the Republicans have now just launched their ten or I think eleven point plan uh, for the future. Um, that plan basically means that uh, from uh, the bottom. Uh, the, the the economic bottom part of of society, they're going to take one trillion in taxes, uh, but there's no word at all about these ultra rich uh, people uh, paying their fair share. And it's amazing that a democracy can be manipulated in such a way that um, uh, a lot of people, not not a popular vote, but uh, enough people to get in uh, the new government by the way the system is rigged. Um, that it is, uh, it is quite likely, or let's say quite possible, uh, that um, the Republican Party, with this party program, um, uh, gets uh, gets back in power. And I think that is deeply worrying, not only for America, not only for uh, the people in America that 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 need a better, a more fair, more equal structure. I think it's deeply worrying for the world. So this, I don't know if you can get a hold of it. It came out just just yesterday, um, but it's 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 worse to look at. Talking about equality, their their paragraphs about family values are are from from the Victorian age, and uh, and 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 are are shocking to read. Um, that is their perception of what the U.S. should be. The the answer should be. Uh, completely different uh, in a world that has so many of these complex crises that I was just describing. Um, what you do need is not less government. You need more government and you need better government. You need both. It should be more and it should be better. But a system of small government works maybe in the days of the Wild West of, of the mid-19th century uh, when there was hardly anybody around and you would have uh, one sheriff in a small village and you could still see the Western movies, how that period was. But that doesn't work in a connected, globalized society that has to deal with global problems and uh, a world uh, where 800 million people right now are hungry. 
that is just so absolutely unfair that the, that there is now people walking around on this planet that during their lifetime managed to earn more than two hundred billion dollars, literally, and they don't pay tax. So um, for a better and fairer society, and for dealing with all these crises, we need better governments at 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 every level of government. And that includes at national government level, certainly in the United States. I, I gather from your accent, you're from there. Um, and uh, But also internationally, we need, this is a time where we need more multilateralism. We need more cooperation between, uh, between all uh, countries in the world because many of these problems are impossible to solve. If, if my country, the Netherlands, would single-handedly say we we are going to stop whatever crisis, let's say the plastic crisis in the world, it it, it does make a dent in the problem if the Netherlands would produce less plastic or use less plastic, or if if we would filter our water before it comes into the ocean, because there are still a small 200 other countries in the world that are doing the very same thing, and that is not the way to solve it. So you need, in a connected world, you need to connect to other people, if problems are connected, governments should be connected and people should be connected. So, um, yeah, that is the world we are living in. And sadly, um, the trend is absolutely the other way. Um, uh, governments in, 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 are, are increasingly less listening to scientists. Uh, people are increasingly more listening to all kinds of voices they pick up in the social media that are coming with all kinds of, of, of extremist views. Um, generally, you solve problems by finding middle ground. You don't solve problems by going to the extremes, which you see on both sides, as well as on the political right, as on the political left, um, that, that uh, people tend to go to the extremes. And that is, that is not a way to solve your problems. I mean, they look, look at whatever in your own family structure or something, if there's a fight about whatever, who's going to do the grocery shopping and you, you, the people involved move to the extremes, I'm never ever going to do groceries and you should do it the rest of your life. That is not the way you solve a conflict in a family. You say, okay, you do it today and I will do it tomorrow. And that is the way you should do international diplomacy. That is the way you should solve the, the, the problems in the world. And, um, and I, I referred earlier in this talk to, the time that I grew up and that I was busy with diplomacy, etc. We had a lot of problems, but we've never ever seen so many at such a scale, all together, all impacting each other. And it's it's deeply, deeply worries me. Um, I'm I'm looking at the clock. We could go on for hours, but I haven't eaten yet. And I know that some of you are listening that really need some sleep because I see at least three of you uh, that are living in in Europe. So. Um, most likely I'll be back tomorrow night and, and we can we can talk about this further and, and, and maybe maybe find a few more issues. So if it's okay for you, I would like to end here. I hope that you uh, will enjoy. I cannot say uh, that you enjoyed it, but I hope that it was somehow useful to to share these ideas. Thanks so much for um, for for listening in and um, hope to um, I hope to be back tomorrow and I hope that you are there too. So thanks so much for joining. Have a good night in Europe. Have a good evening if you're listening from America or wherever in the world you are. Thanks a lot and hope to see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.